0: So far ahead. Cause I've been thinking about
1: forever.
0: Enough to kick it Got a beach house I could sell you In Idaho Since you think I don't love you I just thought you were cute That's why I kiss you Got a fighter jet I don't get to fly it Though I'm lying down Thinking about you Who no, no, no I've been thinking about you Cute, no, no, no I've been thinking about you Do you think about me still? Do you, do you Or do, do, oh, do you not think so?
1: I've been thinking about
0: forever I do not think so far ahead Cause I've been thinking about forever Yes, of course I remember how could I forget How you know you were my first time a new field it will not ever get old not in my soul not in my spirit keep it alive we'll go down this road till it turns from color to black and white
2: You're listening to Ink Studs on CITR 101.9 FM. My guest this week is Annie Mock. Annie's books include, now I've got a whole stack of these things here um, Annie draws James Joyce, uh, Stitching Together, as well as Chris Ware, Paper Musician, and what else do I got here? Dark Cloud Coming, and you are in the anthology Little Heart as well as uh, the upcoming anthology also published by the same
3: folks that did Little Heart 2D Press.
2: What's the name of that anthology?
3: Uh, 2D, uh, 2D Cloud. They're distributing... Oh, 2D Cloud. Um, and Greer Lawson edited um, every slash body okay. coming out for TCAF.
2: Um, is it coming out for TCAF? I thought you said it might be delayed. Oh. I, I thought that's what you said to me. Yeah. I didn't say okay. that. Okay. So, oh, um, so we'll also, uh,
3: hello, listeners. <laughs> I'm, I'm
2: um, also, I should mention uh, the Ghost Comics anthology, which came out in, what, 2010? 2009? To 2009. 2009. There yeah. we go. Um, thank you for joining me, Annie.
3: Yeah. Thanks for having me so much. i been um, trying to get on since. And. Um,
2: well, I appreciate your, uh, your earnestness and, uh, you sending me comics. I've always, I've enjoyed, um, (laughs) kind of seeing where your work's developing. And it's, it's been really fascinating to me because I look at your early stuff and it's very clean and, um, very precise and it's, it's a really interesting kind of stylistic trajectory you've come on as a cartoonist because I'm figuring, you when like how old were you when you start or how long ago did you start making comics at?
3: Um. Well, I started seriously making comics in started making comics. I mean, past childhood. Um. I got back to it in adolescence, around two thousand and three, two thousand and four, and I went to uh, the SBA pre college program and was privileged to have Gary Panter and Keith Marison and Yuko Shimizu as teachers for that. And um, then started self-publishing in 06, um, on, in I think my second year of college at MCAD, Minneapolis College of Art and Design.
2: Um, so I think the, most of the stuff I've seen is all, I think, 2008 or more recent. So was your work before then kind of stylistically similar to what you're making at that point? Or had your work developed in different ways before that?
3: Um, I, I'm surprised you're even asking about it. I tend to think of that stuff as, uh, and a lot of the stuff you mentioned, as like juvenilia. <laughs> um, which which was a concept that I, I felt terrified by when I was in college. I came across this, uh, I read this book of... Um, Uh, all of Langston Hughes' poems, and um, it said in the back, like, these are all the poems, um, you know, past 1921, the earlier stuff is all considered juvenilia, and I was like, oh no, am I making juvenilia right now? And then, (laughs) um, as time went on, I became comfortable with the idea that, uh, you know, I still make some of it. Um, um, Before, I mean, before then, uh, around 04, 05. Um, I don't know. It was just around that time I was strong like a teenager. Um, so just uh, really sloppy. and. Uh, but yeah, I mean, kind of the same clean line style uh, that you saw in some of them, like in, in Dark Cloud Common and stuff around that time. Um, yeah. I, I mean, the... The progression from super clean uh you know fake line of claire thing is definitely something that um has felt really interesting to me also because um it came to represent as i was um as i was drawing the james joyce stuff um it came to feel uh really constipated and um just like such a a laborious process. I was doing like two or three runs at like every, uh, on the inks of every page. And um, I mean, a lot of that was just kind of trying to compensate for bad structure and um, bad figure drawing. And that was around the time that I I, um, took Frank Santoro's correspondence course Mm -hmm. and starting to um, change how I was drawing into um, feeling more impression- impressionistic and messy, which I had kind of always been wanting to do, but I didn't know how to get away from um, what I had kind of been trained in, um, which was that classic, um, you know, penciling, roughs, inking um, method. Kind of factory-based? Yeah, exactly. Factory-based, like, Frank talks a lot of, in his class about how that's very, um, it's really ridiculous that we're, that we feel, a lot of cartoonists feel stuck to that, yeah, because it's, it's factory-based from the 30s, from assembly line, you know, Iger shop kind of stuff, and then the um, pure black and white inking stuff is a holdover from both then with uh, the Photography they had available at the time, and then also, like, 80s Xeroxing
1: mm-hmm.
3: um, and 80s, uh, like, the printing technology that was available then. Um, and he talks a lot about how cartoonists should open themselves up to possibilities with color and with tone because uh, both web, you know, web distribution and cheaper printing technology is so much more available now. Mm -hmm. So, when I started to open myself up to different drawing methods, and focusing more on form than on line, and and on shadow, um, and just building things in a different way, um, that felt so much richer to me, and I felt I got so much more pleasure out of it, and it was around that time that I started transitioning. Um, a little bit later, uh, so I feel like a lot of things, and then like a you know around that time, like a lot of like really bad stuff came up, uh, um, like personal history stuff that I hadn't dealt with, which I talk about in body language from everybody. Um, yeah, so I just feel like the drawing method stuff really tied in together with everything else in my life.
2: Um, maybe for folks that aren't sure what you meant by transitioning. Um, A little clarity.
3: Oh yeah, I'm trans. Um, I'm a lady, and when the doctors took me out of uh, the hole I was in, um, they said I was male, and I identified as uh, queer male for most of my life, and um, started identifying um, as trans, uh, some kind of trans person, Last year, and then um, specifically as as a lady, um, and changed my name and uh, different stuff, mm-hmm. putting things in my body, hormones, you know, that kind of thing.
2: I and the only reason I asked that is because you you put it out there just. Oh yeah, it's
3: super public. Yeah, yeah. Robin is not asking me to divulge <laughs> private information. Um,
2: well, also like. Yeah. It's super public. It's also... Um, it really figures into some of the work you're doing, which I think yeah, is sure. kind of pertinent um, to, to what we're discussing. And one of the things I was looking at is the um, the Muppet stuff. And there's something like... I was, and I've been kind of thinking about with your work. Um, you did the book on Jim Henson, the, the mini-comic. Um, and then I seem to recall in some of your stuff where you'd represent yourself as a Muppet.
3: Um, but, are you talking about in that oh yeah yeah. that's right um, so yeah what, what Robin's talking about is, is stitching together um, which includes uh, a little teeny tiny biography of Jim Henson um, and then yeah there's a, um, a little auto bio strip where I talked about the process of making the comic and yeah in one panel and it's just a, a little nine panel thing where I'm you know Woody Allen kind of thing where I'm talking to the audience Um, and in one panel, yeah, I, I draw myself, and I draw myself in different ways. I draw myself as a skeleton, and I draw myself as, like, uh, as Gonzo in one. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: I thought, I can't remember where I saw, I thought I saw something where, like, you would, like, or a strip where it was, like, a Muppet throughout the whole thing, just a one-page thing, but maybe it's, like, I looked at a bunch of comics, and everything's like a fog in my head.
3: (laughs) Uh, I drew a one-page thing a million years ago, which is also in there, more just to show um, my drawing and storytelling development, where it's uh, a one-page biography of the Muppet Bunsen Honeydew, but I don't think that's what you're talking about. That's that's not what I'm talking about.
2: (laughs) This could be just my own, I read way too (laughs) many comics and everything becomes a
3: big mess in my head. (laughs) Um. You could be uh, you could be thinking of L. Nichols who draws uh No no not self. thinking of I'm kind of, not uh, thinking of uh, kind uh, of a muffin. of that um, stuff. No no it's
2: <laughs> we're gonna leave it alone and I'm gonna try and figure out what the, okay. what the placement was. <laughs> sure. Uh,
3: yeah, I don't I don't know what you're talking about.
2: Yeah, that's okay. Everyone, Robin's uh a mess today and uh
4: <laughs> I was at the Jabberjaw, the cutest boy ever saw he was standing behind me he was such a dream he kept looking right
2: One of the things is uh I've noticed through your work is you kind of you talked a little bit about Frank Centauro um and also Zach Sally um, and Zach you specifically mentioned as a kind of a mentor, and I'm just figuring how these folks have kind of worked within your own creative process of yeah,
3: yeah um I don't think I've ever mentioned Zach in comics, but I definitely talk about him uh hi, Zach. I'm sure it's embarrassing. I talk about his stuff on uh, Twitter a lot <laughs> and um. Uh, and I, am sure I, I know I've mentioned him as thanks in the back of, um, some of the minis, especially the Henson book, because, um, that story came from his class. Um, so I met Zach in 05, maybe, um, or 06, um, maybe, maybe later, um, because i was this mega big low fan back in high school and early college and i met him at the um, rain taxi book fest which is a book festival in minneapolis run by the people who run rain taxi which is a literary magazine that tom k um, writes reviews for actually now um, or um... and i loved his stuff i bought uh... recidivist three which is the um... the standalone hardcover book some people may not know it but it's really gorgeous and like uh, kind of uh, David Lynch stories I always think of it as being like really um, crystal clear storytelling of really murky ideas Um, and uh, I wrote him a letter and uh, because I loved it and Asked him later if I could intern for him at Lomano, his his uh, one-man um, small press um, with Maisie, the old printing machine and the folding machine. And uh, then later, um, uh, Barb Schultz at Mcad hired him on as adjunct faculty at Mcad, which was uh, so I was so pleased about. Um, the teachers who had had at Mcad, Barb Schultz and Terry Beatty, were really great. But they came from a really uh, kind of a somewhat mainstream comics background. Mm -hmm. Um, Not completely, but like not really the kind of comics I was reading for the most part. And Zach had the perspective that I was looking for, which was a perspective really based in inquiry. And I was getting that in my fine arts classes, but I wasn't getting that in comics classes. And so he had us do a nonfiction comic. And that's where the Jim Henson thing came from. That was a big turning point, because I felt like I got some small degree of objectivity onto the story, um, which felt new.
2: Mm-hmm. What was it about that particular, the choices you'd make when boiling down like someone's wide range of life and kind of picking particular moments of his life? like? Were there parts that stood out as important to you? Parts that stood out, as, like you think, is more important <coughs> to his
3: general story? Um. Well, I was really uh, fixated on death at the time, so the story begins and ends with his death, and I felt like when I when I was a real little kid, when I was in second grade, I uh, did a project on Henson and read like a chapter book biography and I I retain this memory retain a couple memories um, from reading that which ended up in the mini one was that uh, and and I'm sure I'm remembering part of this wrong Um, one was that he um, constructed Kermit out of his mother's old peacoat and um, a cut apart ping-pong ball and some markers and uh, sewed up the Kermit prototype um, while his grandfather was sick and in the hospital, or grandmother. Mm. And the other one was uh, the memory of his uh, memorial service where the um, Muppeteers made uh, Muppet butterflies on stalks that all of the um, all the people who attended um, could use and wave and fly throughout the um, service. And that stuck with me um, ever since. So I definitely wanted that in there.
2: That sounds like a pretty amazing visual.
3: Yeah, yeah. And then I I watched, you can watch the YouTube of, um, our, our, our YouTube footage of uh, his memorial service and it's
1: hard.
3: Breaking. I mean one thing's this passing of this like this really you know influential on my life person uh, I didn't really think of him as being so influential but he became but obviously like he was and then became more so during the making of this comic um, but also like there are Sesame Street characters in the service and uh, most of us grew up with Sesame Street characters since toddler age so to me they feel like real people um it's just like a very weird feeling um so um yeah I found it really affecting um and also you know I was just really obsessed with like sentimentality and death and like the big big heartstrings pullers um and uh you know it's kind of definitely a goal to make people cry with comics Mm-hmm. Um some of the stuff that I had in there was um kind of twisted or fabricated. Some of it I felt like was um there were small important things like um the idea that he would go to church and if something like uh weird would happen at church, it would be really hard not to giggle because you're supposed to be serious. And these funny moments being um, more, you know, like way, way better because you're not supposed to be laughing. And I feel like that comes in with autumn Muppet stuff. Um, Characters like Sam the Eagle and the reporter, um, very like serious, staunch characters who don't want you to laugh as an audience member. Um, It was like last night I was watching Empire Strikes Back with friends and one of them hadn't seen it so we were trying to shut up um and (laughs) um one of us we were it was uh one of the last scenes and um uh when luke goes into the room where vader's waiting and uh the door shuts in front of r2 and r2 just uh just can't go any further he's trying to follow them in and one of us maybe it was me maybe it was my friend um Vijay said Um, wow, it really would be, I think it was me, wow, it really would kill the drama if R2 followed them in, and it was just waddling around the whole time and beeping. Um, and it's not that funny of an idea, but because we were trying to shut up so our friend could enjoy the movie for the first time, um, it became hilarious, and we just died. Uh, anyway, um... On. And, and and I'm
2: curious, what did your friend think of uh, Empire Strikes Back at the end?
3: Oh, she liked it.
2: <laughs> oh I'm always that curious, was, like uh, someone sorry. that doesn't have it ingrained as like part of their childhood, I don't think they get quite the same uh glee out
3: of it. I yeah, it's it's certainly and I and I had um I hadn't watched it in a year or two. It's certainly a lot cornier than I remember.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, but um, yeah it works I think to me the only people who really dis- dislike it are not the only people but like um, are people who feel like it's been too hyped up which certainly it is <laughs> um, what are you going to do? it's it's still great I love it um, I love I love the commentary on that movie Erwin uh, Kirshner the director is a really delightful sweet presence and his personality really comes through in the movie
2: Now you did the, you went to school um, in Minneapolis and then you've also done uh, Frank Santoro's uh, correspondence course and I'm wondering what that says about uh, your approach uh, to your artwork uh, about like kind of constantly wanting to improve or make changes to it. Not constantly but you have like a goal
3: in mind um, yes, um, hmm, I, it's hard to, yeah, I, I feel like, whatever, I used to feel a lot of anxiety about, um, being good enough, and at this point, I Feel comfortable with the idea that my goals will will shift, and um, whatever the goal I have in mind about um, development of my artwork and my storytelling is going to be slightly over the horizon, and that's where I will um, be happiest. Um, uh yeah i certainly yeah felt more concerned in the past about reaching like an end point um which i don't feel concerned about anymore
2: is it something that's even possible as an artist
3: no it shouldn't be possible i don't think um i would imagine that if you felt completely satisfied with your process i mean a hundred percent you would feel i mean i don't even think you, there would be time to feel bored I, I feel like you would just find whatever the other challenge is next
1: mm-hmm.
2: one of the things I really appreciate about kind of how your work has changed is I think you're really tapping into bigger ideas with your work as you're Thank kind of you. getting more kind of expressive and I almost feel like your work is more passionate now
3: Thank you. That's, um, I, I agree. Um, (laughs) That's good. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, I mean, I mean, I certainly feel more deeply now in general. Um, For me, there were so many things looking back at my early work and um, earlier chunks of my life. There were so many blocks to, so to me that really goes back to the stuff that I talk about in um, body language mm-hmm. because, I mean, there were these two big blocks, I feel like, to to myself, really, um, in a lot of ways. Since, um, so what I talk about in body language, for people who haven't read it, um, is I talk about transition, um, and I also talk about, how last summer I recovered memories of my mother raping me when I was seven. Um, and um, so much of my experience as a child and as an adult was dissociating. Um, and I feel like both um not having access to my personal history, um, not even not dealing with it, but just not having access to it and um, just feeling very out of touch with my body and engaging a lot of compulsive behavior um, excuse me, of a lot of kinds. Um, you can't feel very deeply when you're avoiding your body. And you're avoiding you know your memories and your history um more so your body than anything else so when i started to deal with that stuff i found i was able to tap into writing fiction in a way that satisfied me a lot more than um my previous efforts at doing that and i found that I started drawing uh, very differently, so to me it's all wrapped up in all those changes that took place um, around, just around a year ago, just around um, last spring, last summer. Um, Kind of culminating in picking the name Annie uh, at, which was really weird, um, at SBX, um, the night I was, like, a couple days before SBX, I was talking to Frank on email, uh, Frank Santoro, and I was like, yeah, I don't know, because I had, like, this interstitial name that I was using between my birth name. And he was like, well, maybe wait till the new moon, because Frank's obviously, like, a total hippie, and so am <laughs> I. I, like, astrology a lot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, um, and um, Frank's maybe got the, the hair and the beard for it more than I do. Um, uh and the night of the new moon, new moon, was the night before SBX, and um, the night of before SBX, I decided for sure on Annie, and uh, that felt like everything clicked for me. Um,
0: then,
2: is there something particular about that name? Um, I'm always, I'm really fascinated by the the opportunity to kind of choose your name, and kind of having those particular choices.
3: Yeah, 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 it's funny. Yeah. Jean Jean Gerard, how do you say it? And and Mobius. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's like a big switch. It's a big deal. Um, for me one of the uh the big deals with that was um uh my interstitial name was kind of uh, unintentionally um male or gender neutral um and I thought I would prefer that, and I found out I didn't. It felt really bad to me to be gendered as male, and it still happens a lot, Um, but it made a big difference for me to say the name Annie, because it is so specifically um, a a girl's name, and also the other significance um, for it for me was the two inspirations were Annie Hall, who I love. I love Diane Keaton and I love Woody Allen's, uh, female characters, especially Diane Keaton's characters and, uh, Little Orphan Annie, the musical and the comic. And I was thinking, when I thought about that, I was thinking about how I'm at this point in my life right now where totally restructuring my ideas of home and family because, um, Um, You know, my birth family is not my family anymore by my choice because um, they're abusive, they continue to be abusive. So um, the idea of this little girl feeling very bright and sunny and optimistic about um, her difficulties in the world and, and finding a new family and finding a new life for herself um, and just like the image of Grey's Annie is just like such a powerful image to me, mm-hmm. and so is so is Annie Hall. I mean, Annie Hall is like the typical like art school girl that I always uh, wanted to be, and didn't know that until now.
2: It's also it's not just like girly It's a really particularly feminine name too. I think
3: it feels that way to me. Yeah. Which I like.
2: guess your most recent published stuff other than the the strip you just mentioned uh, is your uh, james joyce risograph um mini comic which really stunningly beautiful job that they Thanks. did on printing that
3: um yeah yeah it's gorgeous i love that's issue press in michigan george Weeder, and he he is a dreamboat to work with. Um, Ian Harker is using him um, for all the Sacred Prism minis, now including Mario Domos, which I'm really... Uh, or Mare, rather. Um Mari. Which I'm super jazzed about. Mare? Mari. yeah, Mare. Sorry, Mare. <laughs> um, <laughs> He's okay. <laughs> anyway. He's going to tweet about this for about <laughs> ten minutes, and then he'll go back to <laughs> normal. Um uh, he's just happy to be mentioned, just like <laughs> I am. Uh, <laughs> I was, um, when I was, um, uh, starting to, um, uh, when I was just starting to transition, I was, um, when I was going to SBX, uh, Olivia, we one of my table mates, um, it was me and Olivia and Kathy G. Johnson and Olivia emailed me and they were like, oh, so, um, how do you want to be mentioned on the internet right now? And I was like, well, you can use this name. And I was like, actually, the way I like to be mentioned on the internet is often as possible. And they were like, yes, I know. (laughs) And I was like, oh, is it really obvious? Anyway, go on.
2: (laughs) Well, I was asking about um, putting that book together and kind of why that particular story was of interest to you, especially... um, as kind of artwork as that that really represent your change in art styles too.
0: Yeah, yeah, that book
3: became really pivotal for me personally um and professionally. Uh so in fall of 2011, I saw a tweet for an open call for um uh the graphic canon Um, which is an anthology from seven stories press edited by rest kick that collects adaptations of um, literature into comics or um, in the case of copyrighted non-public domain stuff, silent comics or illustrations. Mm -hmm. And I chose to do that Joyce story, Araby from Dubliners. And I also did um, a, uh, illustration spread for uh Raymond Carver's what we talk about when we talk about love um, I picked the joy story because um, for one, I wanted to do a full story. I really didn't want to do an excerpt that seemed really unsatisfying to me and If you're going to, I work in a fairly decompressed storytelling style, I like really small moments and so um, not very much story gets to be a lot of pages for me very quickly. So the story had to be prose page count really short for me to do a whole story. Um, In is about three or four pages. And that became 18 pages in comics for me. Um, the other reason, and the, as far as the story and the aesthetics um, went, um, I'm part Irish, so I felt like I could get the kind of like heavy eyebrows and uh, you know, kind of uh, like the body types and and the the swishy, the like the curly hair and like um, just like the. Uh, you know the features um because that's you know part of part of my family um but more importantly it was um this adolescent story about this boy who has this who feels this intense desperate kind of crush on his friend's big sister and and lusts after her and um and tries to and it doesn't even, really doesn't try to talk to her, it just um, tries to uh, uh, chase her and make her into this really uh, monumental figure in his imagination, and then he tries to do this thing to impress her, which is go to the Arabi, this, this bazaar, and then when he gets there, it's almost closed, and he realizes he's cheated himself, he's, um, he's uh, kind of tricked himself into believing um what he he wanted to you know what he what he wanted to believe, and it ends with that great line his eyes his eyes um burned um something 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 i, I don't remember um but it had to do with self deception so and there's also chunks in the story that relate to earlier stories in the book My that eyes
2: burned with of, anger anguish and anger,
3: yeah, yeah, um Which has to, directed towards himself, yeah, so, and also there's earlier bits in the story that relate to earlier stories about, um, the protagonist dealing with death, um, and so, at that time, that very, like, male feeling of, like, that, like, adolescent male feeling of, like, lust and, um, like, untouchable desire... Felt very appealing to me, and um, yeah, I, I just really I like drawing sad kids.
2: Um, <laughs> that enough is a uh, is reason. Yeah. Um, it's all so the the color choice is interesting. You use this really like vibrant, hot pink, which I wouldn't right away necessarily associate. James Joyce's work.
3: Yeah, yeah. So the the cover is, um, for people who haven't seen it, the cover is based off of um, uh, the Penguin um, Graphic Classics uh, collection, which was art directed by Paul Buckley, um, and specifically Chris Ware's cover for Candide, um, which became a model for the rest of the series, where um, uh, all cartoon, most of the cartoonists did um, covers that were comics. Um, and if the covers weren't comics, usually the um, the the French flaps and the back contained comics. And there were covers by um, Sammy Harkham's incredibly gorgeous cover for um, Kafka's stuff. Uh, Lily Chauay did um, the uh, Huckleberry Finn. Uh, Andres Nilsson did Hans Christian Andersen um, collection, which I really want to get my hands on because that's a match made in heaven. <laughs> um, and uh, I read a bunch of Hans Christian Andersen stuff recently, and I, then I read Big Questions, and I felt like um, Andersen stuff really influenced the end of Big Questions. Yeah. Um, uh, anyway, um. I really love book cover design. I'm a huge nerd about it. I love, um, uh, you know, cover designers like uh, Chip Kidd and John Gall and Peter Mendelssohn and Barbara DeWild. Um, and I love this idea of uh, comics on the cover because you start reading instantly. Um, and the pink for me was a kind of... Um, I, I kind of stumbled onto this material that I ended up feeling like very straight and very male. Um, and that f- the pink was kind of a fuck you. Um, to me, it was like, well, my James Joyce, uh, you know, this isn't the James Joyce. This is my James Joyce, which is, you know, at the time for me, it was like, this is like a gay book or like a, my version.
1: Yeah.
3: Um, or, you know, to now I would describe that like pink as like fenny Um, so for me, that was like a, that was a way of balancing the material, which is very like hierarchical, kind of like, I mean, Joyce is like the model for, um, shitty canonized, uh, dead, white, straight, cis dude, um, who becomes an idol. Um, and his behavior uh, is totally um, kind of pushed aside because he was a genius, you know, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Anyway, go on.
2: Well, no, you you said what I was going to say.
3: <laughs> oh, just that he was a shitty misogynist and racist, um, and uh, by the time I got done with that book, I hated him. Um, I, you know, the writing is very beautiful, and some of the, I love some of the stories, but um, I felt very done with the idea of dealing with um, people that made um, kind of uh, working with material that kind of glorifies artists that made um, their careers kind of fucking with other people.
2: Yeah. It was interesting because you uh, included a William S. Burroughs postcard with the uh, the mini comic yeah
3: yeah and he was that was (laughs) along the lines and I also at one point I drew or I drew roughs of 50 pages of a of a story about Egon Sheila um and abandoned that eventually and that was like along the same lines um the Burroughs thing to me felt a little bit different because that Quote in that image where, um, excuse me, um, where he says, um, uh, "What is it?" I'm going to my website. I can um. read it out.
2: Every man <laughs> has inside himself a parasite, parasitic being, who is acting not at all to his advantage.
3: Yeah, to me that felt a little bit different because I felt like that was Burroughs. Acknowledging to some small degree um, the kind of um, toxic aspects to his personality, mm-hmm. which I saw this documentary about Burroughs um, uh, called A Man Within," which um, I felt like was really problematic on a number of levels. One of which was that, um, and this gets back to this, uh, you know, canonization thing everybody in there, um, was interviewed, um, they talk about his shooting of his wife and then really kind of letting, um, his son die of drugs and really just completely neglecting him. And, uh, um, a friend of mine told me that also, um, some friends of Burroughs sexually abused his son and Burroughs didn't stop it, knew about it and didn't do anything. Um, after I heard that, I felt like he was possibly a sociopath, but then when I thought about it more, I was like, well, if he's a lifelong heroin addict, um, and heroin is like his main thing, that could be, like, that could kind of, um, manifest in similar ways as being, like, uh, you know, a literal sociopath. Mm -hmm. Um, so, but anyway, um that felt slightly different for that reason it's also funny to think about that now because I felt so interested in ideas or imagery or words that had to do with um... uh, a a protagonist's inherent badness just like um, someone just being like bad to their core which is retrospect um such a product of childhood incest and sexual abuse i mean that's a really classic thing um for people to think about themselves and and uh so i felt like i was really manifesting that and that's like something i've been working to flush out which is kind of one of the things i talk about a little bit in body language and um
2: is your work i'm talking
3: about Go on, sorry.
2: I was just wondering, is your work, do you see it as cathartic or as kind of expressive? Um. Something like body language.
3: Body language, to me, it's funny to talk about. Um.
2: Like, it's not an easy, I I realize it's not an easy story to talk about.
3: Um, Sure, yeah, um, no worries, but I appreciate you mentioning that. Um, um, I mean, it's kind of cliche to say catharsis, um, but certainly, to me, it, it felt very satisfying to and very powerful to be able to talk about my experience in this way and construct the framing of it in a certain way um, and constructed the framing of it as um, directing du- directing it and framing the story around my ability to make choices, my ability to take care of myself, my ability to and my ability to um, to reframe things, to um, look at my point of view and decide if it works or if it's realistic or if it makes sense, um, I feel like that's part of what body language is about. And for me, a lot of it was just like the satisfaction. A lot of it was just like, yeah, just the truth telling and just like. Um, Putting it out there and also putting it out there in comics specifically. Yeah. Um, I guess what
2: one of the things I think of is like it's a story that you tell for yourself, but you also tell it for readers, for folks that may be going through their own kind of issues, trauma, um, and kind of creating a connection story, like something to, for folks to touch on to.
3: That goes through my mind, for sure. Um, I mean, sexual trauma and incest is so common, but talking about it is not. And also, um, it feels very important to me to have a dialogue about how trauma works and how sexual trauma works, how dissociation works. Um, These are really, and as far as like, other things like trans stuff like how trans stuff like the the giant um gamut um and like huge variance in people's identities and how like and gender presentations and um how how much of an open field it is um as opposed to there being a particular way to be trans, which I feel like is a really pervasive idea and really um, damaging. But as far as trauma stuff and going and talking about that, I, for me, I mean, for so long, I didn't understand my trauma history because, like, the image, so in body language, I talk about this image of that I had of, um, of being raped, which came back to me in my early 20s, but it was this still image, I had no context for it, I had no language for it, Um, I didn't know what it was, so I literally thought it was psychosomatic. Um, If I had had more context to understand that traumatic memories work in weird ways, um, they can be frozen images, they can be um, smells, bodily sensations, I've heard the term, like, sickening awareness, which felt, like, very real to me, um, just the idea that, like, you can just feel aware that you were abused, um, but not know who, or maybe you know who, but you don't know how, um, all because of how memories get processed when a person dissociates during trauma, um, That would have made a big difference to me. I mean, certainly, uh, I went on the path that I had to go on. um, But I do wish I had had more information Mm -hmm. about all these things.
2: Now, you mentioned uh, before we got into the interview that you have uh, a lot of stuff coming out. Um, and We're kind of, our time's counting up. So I figured we should kind of get some time. In. I know I can't believe it.
3: Um, I spent too much time talking about um, getting high and watching *Empire Strikes Back*. Um, but that's you did cool. mention the first part of that, so you know. I know. I felt like I, I, I know. I, I, for a long time, I, I don't know. I have a very complicated relationship with weed. I've had a lot of substance abuse, substance abuse issues in the past, so. Um, And I also felt like for a long time, well, I should be, I should be super professional. I shouldn't mention that I ever do that. And and at this point in my life, I feel like um, it's more beneficial to me to, uh, I don't know. I just felt like I was deceiving you, Robin, by not talking about that I was high when I watched Empire, but I did. (laughs) And um, that's all. You do know Uh, I live in Vancouver, right? I know I know you do. Um, it's it's more the listener's Robin. Um, I, I just don't think that any I just don't want any listeners to um, you know, think that you can't ever smoke weed if you want to be a successful transsexual cartoonist. Um so, um, the new stuff.
2: Um, transition uh, in conversation. Yeah let's just move from that
3: to another thing (laughs) Um, so the stuff that's coming up um, so the thing that's closest to being done is um, so I have this comic that I'm doing with Emily Carroll um, called This Witch's Work for a Vertigo anthology uh, for Halloween called The Witching Hour Um, Vertigo puts out one-shot anthologies um, that use uh, DC um, anthology titles from the 70s mm-hmm. um, so they put out The Unexpected and Mystery in Space um, you know EC-type anthologies um, and most of the stories are um, Twilight zone kind of twist-ending stories um, which ours isn't um, I'm extremely excited about that it's Emily sent me the first character, um, sketches fairly recently, and, uh, they stopped my heart. They're really gorgeous, and she's a dream to work with. Um, she, yeah, uh, as, as you can imagine, because you know her. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is about a, um, young, uh, Wicca-type witch who confronts a complex PTSD-related, um, panic attack. Um, it is, quote, uh, uh, not unquote autobiographical um, and work on my illustration portfolio doing a bookmark for Quimby's. Um Emily and I are developing a pitch for um, a longer story which um, just got passed on at Vertigo but what are you going to do um, and we're uh, going to be revising it soon It's the working title is I'll Be Your Mirror that um, uses uh, horror movie tropes to talk about um, abuse and um, the after effects of abuse and, and healing um, are, you, are you writing
2: together or are you writing and Emily's drawing or what's the, the collaborative process between the two of you?
0: Um, for
3: the anthology thing, I pitched and wrote, I pitched first, um, which included, like, really the basics of the story, and, um, we, before I wrote the script, we hashed out the basics of the story together to, um, talk about, um, the, the setting and different details, and... We're writing it pretty much Marvel method, so I'm writing a prose script which includes loose dialogue. She's going to do uh, roughs, and um, then I'm going to write final dialogue based off that. So it's mostly me writing, but she definitely has a hand in the writing. Um, and then with Mirror... Um, it's been pretty much all me writing so far, but we're definitely talking about her getting more involved and making it more of a back and forth thing and more organic, which um, we both want. I mean, certainly um, I certainly I don't just want to work with Emily Carroll because she makes pretty drawings. Obviously I also want her brain, um, which is the case with anybody I work with. Um, so, and, uh, there's a thing called Class of Hammer High, which is, like, Peanuts meets Universal Horror Monsters, um, and that I'm co-writing with, uh, Brad Pearson, um, who's a friend of mine, and that is, right now, a pitch for an animated show, but, um, we're kind of arguing about it. I would rather do it as a comic book. Um, I would just rather work on comics in general. Um... Brendan Leach and I are in really initial stages of talking about um, putting a pitch together Um, but that's that's, uh, all on the horizon Um, I am doing illustrations for um, uh, a story called Lizzie and Annie written by Casey Plett which is this really uh, cute, sad really um, rich um, Trans Dyke romance story that takes place in New York, and um, it's an illustrated prose story. And originally, we were going to do a rhizozine zine, but Casey was getting really close to finishing um, a manuscript of a short story collection, so we decided to. And, and also, I realized I was like, geez, I really don't want to be spending so much time on on spec projects. Um, so we decided that I would just do, um, a few illustrations for both my illustration portfolio and for, um, the pitch of, um, uh, her collection, but I'm really jazzed about that because that's a gorgeous, gorgeous story. Um, and then I'm trying to put together a mini tour or a tour. I don't know what makes the distinction between mini or not. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to train myself out of, um talking about what I do in a diminutive way, so it's just a tour, Um, (laughs) uh, that includes um, TCAF tabling, tabling at Zine Feast, um, at SUNY Purchase, where uh, Ananthropy and Domino Books and Olivia Horvath and a lot of other exciting people are going to be tabling, Um, and gonna be doing um a date at Quimby's, um trying to put together a date at Bone Shaker Books in Minneapolis with uh Anna Bongiovanni reading and um hit up some people about Quimby's uh to um see who would wanna join me for that or who would be available and I'm pretty jazzed about that. And then that tour um oh and then I do a talk then I wanna do one New York date of just doing a reading. Then I do a talk in, or I'm on a panel in New York for the release of the graphic canon at the Irish Arts Center. Um, so I'll be talking about the James Joyce thing. Uh, there's the adaptation of Ulysses. They're talking about that, too. And then uh, the tour ends with Lady Fest in Philadelphia, and I'm reading with Liz Prince and, and um, some other folks. And in between that, I move. I'm not living anywhere right now. So I move my stuff from a basement of my last place to a new house. So, uh, yeah,
2: many couches on the way,
3: many, so many couches, so (laughs) much mooching. I'll do so many guilty dishes. Just, um, (laughs) just, yeah. Um, yeah.
2: (laughs) Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me, Annie. I really appreciate it. Thank
3: you. Yeah, I'm really glad uh, um, that you had me on and that I got to talk. Sweet.
2: Uh, Reminder, folks, I've been talking to Eddie Mock and some of her books include Jane's Choice, as we discussed, Stitching Together, uh, The Little Heart Anthology and uh, Ghost Comics Anthology and what's the other anthology that's coming up that Body Language is in?
3: Oh, Everybody and then um, in fall um, in october uh, it's the witching hour there we go sweet thank yeah. you so much and you can find my stuff yeah and I'll and I'll and you can find my stuff at um and AnnieMock.tumblr.com um, uh, and you can follow me on twitter at, at HeyAnnieMock and mock is
2: spelled m o k
3: yes Yes. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, Robin. Yeah. Thank you so. Thank you so much. You don't have to jump off the phone quite yet. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. No. um